one of the biggest ones, this one was crazy, it was Zed Run. During Zed Run's like real prime, we were the seed investors in Zed. And I remember, so we had a million dollar allocation in Zed. I opened up the round, sent it out to my LPs. I went upstairs, grabbed dinner, came back to the computer, and I had 3.3 million committed. Welcome back to the Sporting Crypto Podcast, where we talk to leaders at the intersection of sport and Web3. In today's episode, I am delighted to be joined by Drew Austin, who is the managing partner at Redbeard Ventures and co-founder of Knights of DGen. Drew, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Excited. Coming all the way from Connecticut to New York just to record. I appreciate the hustle. Honestly, I use any excuse to try to get into the city now, at least like I shoot for once a week. You know, I, I move, I, I'm a New Yorker through and through. I lived in New York my entire life until nine months ago. So I'm still getting used to not being in New York. So any excuse to get back into the city, I'm on board. Enjoying the suburbs though? I am. I got two young kids, a four and a two-year-old. So the suburbs found product market fit with young families for a reason. So uh, we're really enjoying it. It's been great. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about what your energy is currently focused on? Yeah, I'm the founding partner at Redbeard Ventures. So a little bit of background, I guess. I've been a founder in the New York tech scene for probably about 20 years now. Started my first company when I was 19 years old. My last company was an AI enterprise software company that did recruitment process automation. We sold that company uh, about three years ago. And then right when I was uh, in the process of like kind of like finalizing the deal, I knew that I wanted to get into investing. I wanted to get more active in venture. At the time, I also really wanted to get more active in Web3. At that point, I was already, it was the heart of the pandemic. It was, I think it was probably three years ago, so about 2021-ish, something in that range. I was like full throttle into Web3. I mean, I started buying NFTs in 2018 and then crypto 2011 or 13, somewhere in that range. So I've been in crypto game for a while now. So I started up an Angelus syndicate. That was really how I got started. If you're not familiar with this, Angelus syndicates, they are basically... People join your syndicate to follow along, see your deal flow, and invest in deals alongside you one at a time. So each deal is its own SPV, it's its own vehicle, its own investment, and you get to choose which deals you invest in. I uh, started investing on the platform, then I started my own syndicate, and the syndicate really took off. I had no idea how fast that would kind of grow and really um, expand. I First, I thought I'd just be like, you know, I'd have 10 or 20 people, we'd be writing small checks to companies. Three years later now, we're at 4,000 LPs. We've done about 200 investments. We've deployed well over $50 million in capital. It's been really active. That then led to uh, our first fund, which is a managed capital fund. That fund is a pure blockchain fund, so pre-seed, seed, kind of like blockchain-focused businesses, whereas the syndicate is frontier technology, innovation, you know, anything that we think is really interesting and exciting. And, um, and then from that point forward, we launched a token accelerator called Denari Labs. And I've also co-founded Knights of DGen, which is a Web3 sports and gaming property. So it's been busy, man. It's been fun. <laughs> so not a lot of your hands. Yeah, was, yeah. There, was there anything in the angel list syndicate that made it hockey stick? Was there any deal or anyone who came in who had like 50 buddies who wanted to join? So it's funny, in the early days, well, the first deal we ever did was the angel round of Super Rare, which is like one of the leading art marketplaces. It was the first place I ever bought an NFT, actually, back in 2018. It was the, I started buying NFT art way before NFTs were like really a thing. I became really close with the founders. It was a very small, tight-knit community of artists and collectors. So that was the first investment and has since done very well. 
And other deals, I think, that were really popular, especially in the early days to help grow it, I'd say Dapper Labs was a huge one. This was right around the time of NBA Top Shot going gangbusters. So we did the Top Shot and Dapper Labs round. And then I'd say one of the biggest ones, this one was crazy, it was Zed Run. During Zed Run's like real prime, we were the seed investors in Zed. And I remember, so we had a million dollar allocation in Zed. I opened up the round, sent it out to my LPs. I went upstairs, grabbed dinner, came back to the computer, and I had 3.3 million committed. So I had to shut it down 45 minutes later and have to give back 2.3 million to everyone because the round was so, it was such a competitive round to get into. I was just really thankful for the founders for they kind of protected my allocation as best they could because you had some of the bigger investors like Andreessen and the Churning Group putting in meaningful capital. I mean, it was a $20 million round and we're just a small angelist syndicate. They held true to their word and I've, you know, I've been very close to the founders ever since and it's been great. And then the interest that sparked Web3 for you, yeah. like what was the light bulb moment? I've had three light bulb moments. I mean, first to say... I'm a collector at heart. I've been collecting things like memorabilia and sports cards and action figures and art and autographs and just like, you know, you name it, I've collected it probably over time. And I just like, so I like the the hunt of collecting. I like the art of it all. And um, I remember, you know, getting into crypto, I think it was 2013, I think was when I bought my first Bitcoin. But I was really interested in the concept of a digital asset, a digital collectible, a certificate of authenticity that's on the blockchain. So I was researching NFTs when they were even being referred to as colored coins. That's what it was like the original concept. Yeah. yeah. So we were looking, I was looking into that and then I finally found Super Rare. The first light bulb moment was when I bought my first piece of art on Super Rare and I felt that feeling of pride in ownership. That was a really powerful feeling for me because I felt the same as when I buy physical art. The fact that that feeling was transferable, but also digital in nature, easily sellable, open marketplace. Like It just was like, wow, this is really interesting. My second moment was opening my first NBA Top Shot pack. The fact that it brought me back to when I was a kid, excited to open up a pack of cards, to see what was in it, to land like the rare card that you wanted. But the other part of it that really was exciting was like the ones that I didn't want, I could sell in two seconds. In the regular card world, everyone has boxes of shit cards that they just like have nothing to do with. There is no world of utility for those cards. There's no marketplace for them. There's no one who wants them. Whereas like in the digital world, there is a market for almost everything for these cards. That was really, really powerful. And the third moment I had was with Zed Run. I remember I bought this like Z10 horse, one of the cheaper horses that I would purchase back in the day. Um, you know, if there were, if anyone knows Zed Run, it was like Z1s were the best and most expensive. And Z10s at the time of the Genesis breed were the were like the lower end horses. It was less likely that you'd find like a great, great horse. So I had a Z10 that started performing really well. It won two races in a row. And all of a sudden, I felt this feeling of horse ownership. You know, like I've been to Belmont, I've been to horse races a million times where you go there and you just like, you root for number three and like, you know, hardly remember the name of it. And then five minutes later, it's over and you never think of that horse again. And then there's these very few select groups of people that actually have vested interests in the performance of the horse. But that's like very few and far between. Well, all of a sudden, I have this horse. It's going up in value. I get, I'm, getting, I'm getting offers 10, 20x what I paid for it because of its performance. And that blew my mind because of the fact of like, oh, this is what it means to own a digital asset. 
And that really opened my eyes to what is the future of sports on chain? What is the future of digital sports? What is the future of gaming? And, you know, I just found those between those three moments, those were the three light bulb moments that enabled me also to get through a bear market. My thesis never changed. Speculation goes up, speculation goes down, but the theses and the takeaways that I left with from those experiences remained. And so that's kind of helped me to get through a bear and who knows where we are. But at the end of the day, I've stayed kind of bullish on the whole market in general. I love that notion of mirroring physical goods and ownership on chain. And I think that is still slept on. Just broadly as a concept, we've been in this kind of digital world for the last whatever you want to call it, 10 years, 15 years, using uh, screens more, being on social more, etc. But we've never really had technology before blockchain that allows us to mirror physical properties of real life goods on chain, which is super important. And I think there is this kind of notion that, oh, you know, because there's a lot of rampant speculation and uh, token prices go up and down and whatever it may be, I think that kind of gets lost. So why don't you explain to the audience why, again, that is such an important property? I guess there's a couple ideas that I've had in my head from the very beginning. One is that we're continuously moving towards a more digital world. I mean, the pandemic accelerated exponentially, but no matter what, we live in a digital world. That's one. Number two, besides some of the chaos that's happening in the world, we are living in a more globalized society. I remember 20 years ago when I was younger, a message or a trend that was going on in this part of the world, like it took a long time for it to travel to other places. And then all of a sudden, you know, over the last five to 10 years, you know, a YouTube video pops up and anything's a trend here, is a trend in Australia, is a trend in California, is a trend in New York, it's a trend everywhere. So the world has shrunk, we've globalized, and we live in a more digital world. So with all that being said, what are going to be the assets What's going to contribute to creating unique identity in a digital world? And when I think about that, I look first have to reflect on what is the physical world's representations of that? Well, cars, houses, art, collectibles, fashion, memorabilia, these are all things that help people even tattoos, if you think about it. These are all things that are physical in nature that help to create identity, that help identify wealth and value, etc. And in a digital world, I think we're starting to see a reflection of that. In the case of tattoos, for example, you're looking at avatars. You know, people are putting on representations of themselves uh, that they want to represent themselves and kind of make themselves a unique presence in the world. But in the digital world, you have virtual real estate, you have gaming assets, you have NFT collectibles that are inviting you to be participate in clubs like a golf club in Connecticut. You know, instead of the golf club in Connecticut, you're in the Board Ape Yacht Club. You know, whatever that might be, you're in. You're collecting art. You're collecting sports cards, like I do with Top Shot. What we're first doing before we kind of even rethink what a digital future looks like, it's first trying to bring our comfort from the physical world into the digital world. And then I think we'll start to evolve into new concepts in and of itself, which will probably be led by AI in that regard and what doors that opens. But yeah, I think that the idea that we can have a immutable, trusted ledger on chain that tracks ownership and 
representation of that ownership is trusted by all because it's immutability, that creates a level of ability to value things online. And that is a really powerful concept. And that should not be owned by one person. That ability to be able to have the infrastructure to own things in a digital world, transact in a digital world, should be decentralized so that not one group of people or one entity can direct its future or change things. The participants as a whole kind of direct its future or the technology itself. So to me, that's how I think about it. Yeah, I, I always say I think it's the biggest unlock since social media online. Like, it, for sure, to be able to own something online is, we're kind of right now in a digital stone age. And I think 30 years from now, people will look at, you couldn't own something online. That's so weird. Let's talk a little bit about your, your day job, investment side of things, right? Can you give the audience a little bit of an idea of what types of things you have invested in through the, the syndicate and also through the, the fund? So on the syndicate side, we've been active investors for about three years. I like to describe our syndicate as something that's very like frontier technology, innovation-oriented, things that can really kind of push things forward. We are looking for moonshine ideas. We're looking for big ideas with big addressable markets. So let's talk through some of the deals we've done. As I mentioned earlier, Dapper Labs, Super Rare, Zed Runner, a few. Wilder World is a metaverse play. I'm super excited about Wilder World and Zero. To me, when I picture living in a digital world and owning real estate and things, like when I buy art, sometimes I picture how will it look when I live in Wilder World. Like that's how I really think because their vision is so ambitious to create this like platform for a digital society that it really relates to the way I think about a digital world. It's not just blockchain. We're invested in space deals, Venus Aerospace and a variety of others. We're invested in robotics deals like RoboTire and you know other deals in that area. We've done biotech deals. We've done Tehran Biosciences, which is focusing on like some of the psychedelic area. More recently, we've done a lot of sports leagues and teams. I'm a huge believer in the new up-and-coming leagues and teams because of the fact that we live in a very like on-demand streaming world. I think live entertainment is going to be a very, very hot commodity to the streaming platforms, networks, because it's really the, the last remaining advertisable piece of content because everyone else can just like, you know, fast forward through them or not have to because of these streaming platforms. So I think that live entertainment and a new live entertainment is because of now all the various different platforms that can provide distribution. I think that um, there's a lot of room for opportunity there. We've done Major League Pickleball and the Texas Ranchers. We've done Crawley Town, a League Two soccer team in the same division as Wrexham. We've done fan-controlled sports and fan-controlled football. We've done most recently the National Thoroughbred Racing League. It's a they're trying to bring F1 to horse racing and modernize horse racing with event experiences, team-based. I'm actually one of the owners of the New Jersey team. A lot of really interesting things happening in the sports world. Obviously, we do a lot of blockchain. That's where our fund focuses. Our fund is a lot of early stage blockchain opportunities. We've invested in LimeWire, that original music disruptor and innovator from you know years ago is now back and doing some really interesting things in the AI and music and blockchain space. We're also doing a lot of AI deals. I'm super, super excited about what I'm seeing in AI. I think we haven't even scratched the surface there yet. I think that's going to impact and disrupt every single industry. So I'm spending a lot of time just trying to understand where where, where the investment opportunities are. I think it's a little bit complex for startups right now to enter the market because it's so open source and there's so much happening. 
And I think that larger established companies can incorporate it as a feature faster than a startup can build from the ground up and build consumer. So there is some complexities there, but I do think we're going to see incredible innovation happening around that. We've done, I'd say, about 200 deals. We've done deals like Colossal, which is bringing back the Woolly Mammoth, which is a de-extinction company. Just really interesting, innovation-oriented businesses that have really big ideas that could bring you know really interesting things to society. If we zone in a little bit more on kind of sports entertainment, blockchain-based deals, you've been involved in um, Galaxy, Dapper, Do Dilly, Fan Controlled Football, Green Park Sports, Knights of DGen, Poa, Baguette, Wagme, Zed Run. So you're kind of hitting almost everything from, um, you know, platforms to ticketing and infrastructure to collectibles to gaming. And so what's been your thesis when looking in sports and entertainment from a crypto perspective? So I think that there's a few things. I think, A, first, I think that I was looking at what are some of the interesting applications where blockchain can introduce unique opportunities. I think, obviously, ticketing is one of the first that comes to mind. So one of our more recent investments is Get Protocol. I think Get has done an incredible job building infrastructure. There is a difference between companies that want to just like offer an NFT versus companies that want to build a true decentralized infrastructure to enable a new experience. And I think that that's what they've done with Get Protocol. And we've seen, I think they've done over 5 million tickets already, more than that, on the platform. So it's tried and true. They've introduced this new digital twin experience that it makes it super easy for anyone who creates events to offer a digital twin to the actual normal ticket, which would be the NFT version. They've now introduced a whole collectible and memorabilia component to their tickets, which I think is amazing. So you leave a concert or you leave a sports game, and at the end of that, your ticket becomes this like digital piece of, of memorabilia, like a, a video or content or an experience that you've acquired. I'm a huge believer in that because like for one, I would love to have an easy, organized view of all the events that I've been to in my life. I wish I kept some of my tickets that I because I've been to some really amazing sport events. Like I went to Jim Abbott's no hitter when I was a kid. I've been to Knicks playoff games. I've been to Yankees World Series games and Giants playoffs games. I wish I could just look at those and have the memorabilia from each one. I, I don't have that. I wish I did. So get I think is really introduced some fantastic things. And then they're incorporating DeFi into the whole mix because you know they have the get token where they're thinking about new ways to introduce event financing through DeFi and through staking token, etc. So I love what they're doing. Another example that I think is doing something really interesting that we've invested in is a company called Azuro Protocol. I don't know if you're familiar with Azuro. Azuro phenomenal. They're doing fantastic. It's a basically a decentralized liquidity protocol for sports betting platforms. So if you think about it, like if you've ever you know bet on sports, if you've ever been a sports bookie or whatever, there's a lot of risk in managing a small book or you know a sports book because someone might bet you know $20,000 on a WNBA game and all of a sudden you're like oh damn i got to like root against this or whatever i'm this is a lot of risk to my day the general understanding of sports books is the more betting activity the more closer to neutral and that's where you make your money when you're just like kind of break even and you earn your vig so what they've provided is a liquidity protocol and an sdk infrastructure so anyone can spin up their own sports book on top of the liquidity protocol but then leverage the liquidity protocol so that they don't have to take on all the risk of running this book 
And anyone who stakes token is now basically operating as the house. So they can get a percentage of the revenue and profits by providing the liquidity to all the various different sports books. So I think what they're doing is phenomenal. I think it's the future of sports betting online. I think that there's going to be lots of really interesting things built on top of that infrastructure. I started by thinking about like what are those new experiences. When you think about how DeFi can be incorporated into some of these new products and new experiences, that's definitely something. Obviously, then I go to like what are the new sports gaming experiences? What is like the the future of 24-7 sports? What is the future of like sports teams that you could own? So, and that's where it led me to Zed Run, where you could start to build your own stable and build your own team as such. I've done a lot of thinking around new teams, new sports, new games, things of that nature. As I was saying before, professional sports, I think like look at Major League Pickleball. Major League Pickleball, I think, is one of the fastest growing sports in the world. Major League Pickleball done has done an incredible job of organizing the sport, getting the right distribution, getting on ESPN, getting on the tennis channel, getting great brands and sponsors. It is very hard to build a sports league from the ground up. It is very expensive, and you really have to grind and survive the first few years till you can get to a place where you could build a sustainable business. And it really comes down to distribution, sponsorships, revenue, etc., ticketing, all that. So what I think that Major League Pickleball is in a really, really so far has done the heavy lifting to get through that really uncomfortable phase and hopefully position themselves for a lot of growth in the future. But yeah, those are like just some off the top of my head, but there's just so much exciting things happening. You know, the funny thing is the way I got into Major League Pickleball, the owners, the operators that acquired the Texas Ranchers, which is the team that I'm participating in. Before we even acquired the team, we were originally called Pickle Dow. We wanted to bring a Dow structure to acquiring the team. We were moving very fast that way, and then all of a sudden FTX happened. Everybody got scared. They didn't know if they wanted a Dow associated with one of the founding, you know, one of the early teams. So we ended up, you know, kind of removing the Dow concept because of the whole SBF thing. But we've still taken that very kind of democratic approach. And you know, I always feel like our syndicate is a is a way of kind of democratizing investing because we're bringing a community to each deal. We have a car racing game coming to Wilder World. That's really exciting. Green Park Sports has done an amazing job of like licensing with major sports leagues. And then NBA Top Shot as a collectible, I think, is brilliant. One of None has done something really interesting. That's former former NFL quarterback Deshaun Kaiser and uh, kicker Kai Forbath. They're the founders of One of None. They're basically building an infrastructure for companies to be able to create physical collectibles physical memorabilia, physical art, tokenize it on-chain, have its digital twin, basically. So you can almost trade a physical good as it would be like a marketplace of digital items. So just a lot of really interesting stuff happening. A lot of really interesting things, excitement, lots of success as well. You know, Dapper went on to raise a 7 billion valuation, whatever it may be. Where do you think things have gone wrong? Where do you think there are lessons learned from this latest cycle within this kind of intersection? Yeah, I think valuations were crazy. I think valuations were just when there was just a moment of too much liquidity. Um, money was so cheap from debt that you could get as much money as you basically wanted at any time. So um, people were just throwing money at anything at the time. So valuations had to really course correct. I think that businesses have to have now, because of that, had to flip their models to building revenue and profitable businesses that could sustain without investor capital. We're going to see a washout of a lot of businesses that can't do that because they started in the fundraising world and that's pretty much all they've ever known was raising capital. And the challenge of having to build a real sustainable business has not been perfected yet. 
for a lot of these companies. I think that managing a budget, even managing burn, um, a lot of these things are going to become problems. And then in the Web3 world, we have not, as an entire market, found clear, consistent, sustainable business models yet. Whatever the SaaS is of Web3 does not yet really exist in a very clear way for a lot of companies to kind of be like, oh, let me just do it this way. You know, we all went through this moment where it was basically throw shit to the wall, see what sticks, and you'll probably make a lot of money because there was so much money to be made in the early days of NFT sales, um, in the early days of Web3, that like, it was pretty much experiment and you'll make money experimenting. Now you really, now people are expecting you to build something more sustainable. And I think what's going to happen from this is two things. One, a lot of businesses will fail. I mean, that's part of being startup. That's part of the innovation economy. We just have to be prepared for that. And then there will be other businesses that are figure it out and thrive and reap the benefits of a recovering economy. And then there's going to be a new set of founders or new operators that are set, that are challenged to rethink how we approach this, this from a business model perspective and introduce new experiments and new business models that do take off. So, you know, I'm really excited to see what happens in SocialFi. Like, how do we start to rethink social in Web3 and how does that incorporate? What are some of the new recurring revenue type of business models that exist? What happens when we think about how DeFi is incorporated into these businesses more effectively? I think that will introduce new opportunities to make money. But we still have a lot of research and discovery to do. This is still such, it almost sounds cliche, but like the reality is this is such a baby of an industry. I mean, we're trying to rebuild the internet. The whole concept started 10, maybe 12 years ago. And it started with just pure speculation. Then we finally got DeFi. That was like the beginning of DeFi. That became the first wave of utility and applications. Then became the NFT speculation bubble. And then NFTs became the next kind of wave of utility. We're now waiting for that next big, like, what is the next thing? Personally, I think it'll be gaming. But, you know, it remains to be seen. On the valuation front, just pepping back a little bit, do you worry about some of those companies that have raised huge valuations that might not reach those valuations again? It's funny because like I came up in startups and venture and just like the the concept of a down round was such a bad thing when I was like growing up in venture. It was like, oh shit, you know, nobody wants to get a down round. In this year, it's been the most common. I mean, I think it's almost weird if you don't do one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have to course correct. Yeah. I mean, investors made mistakes. Founders made mistakes. Uh, if you want to survive, you have to course correct. I don't think you keep chasing valuations in this market, especially from where we came from. That is just a recipe for failure. You're never going to exit to be able to provide returns to your investors, your team, everybody. So I think there's just a general course correction that is happening and needs to happen. And, you know, we're all going to have to kind of deal with the consequences of that. But like, listen, this is an innovation economy. There is a period of exploration that has to happen during these periods. For me, it's been very interesting because I'm relatively new to investing. You know, I've been investing now for about three years. So I came in to the bubble, 2021. That's when I started my venture investing career. So like, as a new investor, just entering the market, and also just having a syndicate. So like, I really didn't have fund capital to manage yet. I per came into the market saying, hey, my job as a syndicate lead is 
there are deals that I know people want access to. My job is I have to prove to the world and to the, my LPs that I have the ability to lock down and get access to the hardest and most competitive deals in one of the hottest markets to show that like even as a small syndicate, I can win allocations because I think that would build the, the trust in my ability to be able to prove myself as an investor who can prove their value to founders negotiate, get into deals, work with other investors, etc. Then it kind of shifted into, okay, you know, I think I did a pretty damn good job of that, which is why the syndicate grew from zero to 4,000 people because people came in droves to come into the deals. But then there came into this moment where I was like, oh shit, like this market is out of control. So for about six months, the first six months of this year, easily the first six months of this year, I didn't do one investment not one from the fund because I just needed this market. I, I, I needed to like allow the market to find its footing and course correct. You know, it wasn't like we weren't seeing deal flow. It just didn't feel right to do deals in that time. It just felt like more correction had to take place. I just remember in the deals that I was doing in the 2021 days, there was no room to even negotiate valuation. If you tried, someone came over and they were 4X oversubscribed, every single deal I would get into was oversubscribed exponentially. So to prove myself as an investor during that time, my approach was, let me show everyone how I have the ability to get allocation and win over founders, because that's what I can prove during 2021 as a brand new investor. Now I've become much more thoughtful around fund economics, around syndicate economics, around valuation, around trying to obtain as much ownership as I can as early as I can. And it's also led me to getting more involved in accelerator programs. I'm a builder at heart. Like I'm an operator at heart. That's why I even started Nights of DGen while I was doing this, because I learned through getting my hands dirty. We've done two accelerators so far. First one was in partnership with Outlier Ventures, we did uh, a ZK Rollup specific accelerator because I really wanted to learn more and get more hands dirty in the ZK space. And it was amazing. We invested in seven companies and got a meaningful chunk of ownership in each of these companies and, and got much closer to understanding ZK technology, its benefits, its capabilities, and different ways people are utilizing it. And then we said, hey, like, I really want to make this a thing that we can continue to get involved in, but I want to do it a little bit more broadly in terms of types of companies we could work with, but I want to focus on token, token design. Because I think that as an investor in Web3, I think our advantage is the token side of things. I think that provides uh, unique levels of liquidity, unique upside opportunities, while also having access often to equity as well. But I just think the token gives an exponential opportunity for returns as a, as a venture investor in blockchain companies. And I think we haven't even scratched the surface as an ecosystem yet of designing sustainable token economies and good tokenomics. So what we've done now is we've launched Denari Labs, we have a great group of partners and sponsors that are involved. Our title token design partner is uh, Horizon Labs Ventures. They're the ones who designed ApeCoin and worked with Sandbox and, and a bunch of others. And so we worked with them. We've done a 12-week program. We have the, we're about two-thirds of the way through cohort one. Been an incredible experience. I'm super, super excited about it. But it's really helping me get close to the token design and at the protocol level and the application level and thinking through how tokens kind of impact and enable businesses to introduce new user experiences, new network effects, new economies, and new financial instruments, etc. And uh, I want to do more of it. So you know, we're gonna we're gonna expand that hopefully from five companies to somewhere between ten and fifteen for cohort two. I'm just like it's been a great great experience so far. Exciting times. Totally. I mean, I love it. 
think that wraps us up for part one. Uh, before we do move on to part two, I need to remind you that this podcast is sponsored by the HBAR Foundation. The most beloved sports brands understand that what fans want is simple, a reason to be passionate. The HBAR Foundation enables brands and fans to share their passion on-chain using the Hedera network, the most used sustainable enterprise-grade DLT for the decentralized economy. Visit linkedin.com slash company slash HBAR Foundation to learn more and get the latest HBAR Foundation and Hedera network news. Welcome back to the show. Um, been a fantastic part one so far. Let's talk a little bit about the moonlighting, Knights of Degen, the sports NFT project that you co-founded a couple of years ago. Why don't you explain to our listeners what that is and what you've done so far? Yeah, so Knights of Degen's been great. We started it two years ago, it was September 2021. It was myself and it was like a crew of like seven or eight of us, Jared Augustine, Jack Settleman. We just had a great group, Blake Jameson, we had this thesis of saying, hey, of all these NFT projects that are coming out, you know, the Bored Apes, Gutter Cats, et cetera, really none had, were built on a foundation of like this one shared interest. And we were like, what do we talk about with our friends all day? It was like fantasy sports, sports betting, watching the games, et cetera. Like we were all home, we're in the pandemic or whatever. And it's like, how do we build this community of, for sports fans built around NFT IP? And we wanted to like do something more creative and fun around it. So we came up with this concept of Knights of Degen. We sold out of our 8,888 Knights. We then expanded the, the lore to include the Steeds, the Knights Steeds. We sold 4,444 Steeds. And uh, we built this like really strong foundational business. From there, we had this rabid community. And that's like from the very beginning, it's what blew me away about NFTs and DAOs was the participatory nature of your consumer base. This wasn't like you sell a product to them and then they just say, okay, thanks. You sell a product to them and the next thing you know, they start a podcast. The next thing you know, they are joining the operating group of our fan-controlled football team and joining the management team. They're joining our beer design team. We started just by creating lots of really cool initiatives because we found people are interested in sports. They're interested in speculating and alpha and all that kind of stuff. They were also interested in entrepreneurship. They wanted to build. They wanted to create. They wanted to do fun things because people wanted the opportunity to work in sports and Web3. That's what Knights of DGen was really kind of opening the gates to. So we built an entire team around people that started from the community up and came in and were able to produce and deliver. You know, so from that, you know, various community-driven initiatives, we had the DGen Sports Art Gallery started, which has now uh, built this really amazing group of artists that come together that we've curated and worked with to produce NFT art that's related to the sports industry. We just were like, hey, where do we buy sports art NFTs? There wasn't a great way to filter or find it, so we created the gallery of it. We have a gaming guild where our community uses uh, proceeds that, that come from the royalties to buy assets in different games, whether it be Footium Soccer or Zed Run Stable or Swoops Basketball team or a finish line baseball team or just various different types of teams because this was our way of saying, hey, let's think about in this idea of the future metaverse of sports, we want to own teams and root for our teams. This vision that we had early on was what is the idea of a metaverse sports bar, a global sports bar? 
you think about you come, you can watch games. So we, you know, we wanted to watch games together, watch our teams. So that became our own fan-controlled football team, our soccer club that we were invested in, Zed Run Stable, our digital teams, etc. So we had teams that were ours that we all had vested interest in that we could root for. We have the gaming guild. We have different types of like game clubs that were going on. There was a poker club. There was this. There's just a lot of really things that were all community-driven, which were really awesome. Then from there, about a year and a half, year in, we acquired a company called LeagueDAO. LeagueDAO, for those that know, is a built a decentralized fantasy sports platform. So this became our kind of push towards technology and building out kind of tech IP. We've released now, you know, four or five different types of gaming experience. We have our decentralized March Madness bracket. We have our NFL Pick'em game. We have PropQuest, which is a mobile app and mobile game. We have our Bet to Earn, which is a way that you can connect your mobile, you connect your wallet, your sports book to your profile, your DGen identity, and we can all track each other's bets and create contests and tournaments around it. We kind of leaned into tech, built a mobile-first experience where all of us can come together and participate, compete, and play games because that's what we want to do. From there, a couple other things that were more recent. One was we wrote the Degenesis, which is the Book of Lore, which was the first four chapters of the Book of Lore, um, which is so awesome. It's like this, like, take some of the one of 12, one of the, the one of one NFTs, builds a story around their role in the kingdom of Degen and the fight against the prudes and how they want to protect their way of life and how the prudes want everybody to, like, remove risk and reward from their world and they want to fight back and protect against it and just to have fun and compete and play with their friends, et cetera. So we built this really cool story and the vision is to kind of merge this like Pokemon fantasy gaming world with sports, which has always been very separate. You know, if you think about jocks and geeks, they've always kind of been separate in society. But like, you know, with Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, those like worlds are merging sports and tech and, you know, sports and geek culture are now really blending. So we felt like we can build a story, a fictional world, potentially an animated show in the future, et cetera, that tells the story of our world and what we're about, that would then translate to the games that you play. So like, you know, when you play in PropQuest right now, you could use what we call a game changer, which is an NFT, to change the odds or spread of the game that you're choosing that day. So we've incorporated the story into the NFTs, into the game. And then lastly, we have our DAO and our token so that people can then participate and earn using the DGEN token. And like, this is all, I mean, listen, the reality is right now is like, obviously the market's been in a weird place in the, for like the last six months to a year, but ultimately it's just been an amazing thing to see how people come together. They rally, they want to participate, they want to contribute, they want to work in sports and NFTs. And we've been able to really kind of put forth a community and a platform for people to do that. And I'd say like of all the different NFT projects that I'm in, I feel that like our community has been the most fulfilled, meaning like there's not this fury. There's not, even if the, the NFTs are down in price or token down in price, it's not like this anger because at the end of the day, they still come there and talk about sports all day. And that was our thesis from the very beginning. So it's been an amazing experience. It's helped me learn and see the space from a variety of different perspectives and angles that as an investor, 
you wouldn't necessarily see. You have to kind of really be in the weeds as an operator to understand gaps and opportunities in the market. Um, we've probably created about 20 partnerships between RBV portfolio companies and Knights of DGEN. So, as ways where you could bring community, like the, the book of lore I mentioned, we created a digital book that you can literally scroll through the pages while you're on OpenSea, but it also has a Kindle. It connects to, you can also read it on the Kindle using this platform, Alexandria Labs, which he also did an investment in. So we've really been able to like build an ecosystem, build a community and build an economy around it. It's been, it's been a great experience. I've been talking a little bit about sports more broadly and why having on-chain communities are important, right? We're in this weird point in time, I think, where social has dominated the internet over the last like 10 years. It's dominated go-to-market strategies. It's dominated customer acquisition, fan acquisition, fan engagement strategies. But Social's in a very volatile space. X has been acquired, weird things going on. I think the AI boom has meant that those social companies are trying to wall off a lot more so that they can hoard their data and the LLMs can't learn from them, et cetera, et cetera. And these silos don't connect, right? Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever it may be. I think that's broken personally. Right. And so I was talking about this yesterday at, um, at Columbia University doing a talk and I was like, Manchester United had 880,000 people claim they're free to claim NFT. Do they have that many email addresses? I don't know. Maybe they do, right? But having a non-chain network of fans or a community is super, super powerful. And I think that unlock is going to be really, really big for sports. Absolutely. There's going to become an entire suite of tools and infrastructure to be able to message, engage, track, and analyze. It'll, you know, you'll have CRMs built on top of on-chain activity. So I completely agree with that. I think one of my early realizations, and I saw this with fan-controlled football. So fan-controlled football is an amazing concept where the fans are voting on every aspect of the, the, the team that you're running. We have a team literally called the Knights of DGEN in their football league. Um, we traded for Terrell Owens midseason. It was really, it was really amazing. We were on ESPN. You know, we draft, we vote for the draft. We voted on the jerseys, the logos, the colors. And then we literally vote every 20 seconds on the play and it gets routed to the quarterback and they have to run that play in real life. And we just became really close to play. There was what I realized from all of this was fandom and ownership having a vested interest in your team accelerates the relationship and accelerates the fandom exponentially. Like I'm a, I've been a Knicks fan for my entire life, probably 34, 35 years, pretty much since I was three, four years old. But that's a long relationship. The rabid fandom that was created within a season or two because of the fact that we also had ownership is incredible. So I believe tremendously in fandom and ownership. And I think that NFTs, crypto, DAOs, infrastructure where, where distributed ownership is part of the um, experience, I think will play a big role in sports in the future. Do you think that balance has been found so far? And I remember writing about fan control football not coming back for season three. And then there's obviously been the socios trend where it's been sold as a really big fan engagement model, but the interaction and the decision-making isn't as great. Where do you think that balance lies? Like, as you mentioned, you're a huge Knicks fan. Maybe the coach that is paid $10 million a year should make the decisions rather than fans, right? But as fans, we still might want to have some input and impact on who is making the decisions at the top. Do you think we found that kind of balance yet? And where do you think it could be? 
So I think the concept of a DAO has been a big experiment over the past you know, 12 to 24 months. And I think overall, I think the general consensus is that DAOs are flawed. I think there are parts that are truly very positive. I think getting the views from your consumer base and your community is great. Uh, I think distributed ownership. And, and if you provide value, either as a consumer or as a participant or as an employee, that you can earn back from your participation, I believe in tremendously. I believe in distributed ownership. What we had was decentralized organizations, but there was no autonomous involved. There was no autonomous. And I think that's a huge miss for what we were calling DAOs. So I think the next wave of DAO technology is going to be AI, is going to be an AI decision-making. And that's going to be really fascinating because then it's not that humans are making decisions. I think humans are, being, are going to be better to be used as quality control. And I think that if we're all there to be like, hey, the AI made this decision, the AI made that decision, how else can we educate the AI? How can we inform the AI? But we're going to live and die with its decision-making. And if there are maybe the checks and balances is if something feels off, then the people that are at the participatory level can flag it and then they put it to vote for the rest of the community. And the vote community can vote to say, hey, we're not going to go along with this decision that the AI made. But I do believe that the general operating activity of an actual DAO has to be powered by autonomous intelligence. Or you're basically just running a business. It's very hard to do a DAO right now the way that they're structured today. I don't, I don't believe in it right now, actually, to be honest with you. I think the O part has been lost on a lot as well. Like the organizational capacity to execute has been lost on a lot of these DAOs as well. I think you mentioned the, the kind of infrastructure isn't there either. When I was talking to people about DAOs 12 months ago, I was like, you do realize this is Discord and then like an on-chain treasury, right? And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, there isn't anything else special creating the infrastructure that allows a decentralized community to execute right now. And again, like I'm really simplifying it, than some of those quite primitive tools. We're very far away from a situation where you can have that kind of more autonomous and more organizational. With the speed of how AI and these LLMs are operating, I don't think we're as far away as we might have been two years ago. In the future, I think LLMs with various specialties will be communicating. You know, there might be your marketing LLM communicating with your product LLM, communicating with your business LLM, rolling up into your CEO LLM, and that's how decisions are made, or that's how business operations are held. And the people that are training or quality control over the marketing LLM versus people that are, I don't know exactly, but I do believe that the future of this is AI agents or bots interacting with each other, probably transacting in crypto, and humans playing more of a quality control rather than having to do a lot of the laborious tasks. And I think the problem with DAOs now is nobody wants to be accountable. Nobody wants to do the work. Everyone just wants to have an input and a say, but not actually execute. And the people that want an input and say, but don't execute, have dumb input. So like, if you're not going to get your hands dirty, you really don't know shit. It's a very flawed system. Some things shouldn't be democracies, right? Absolutely. There's a reason why leadership is in place. If you don't trust the leadership, you probably shouldn't be part of that community to begin with. There have been some good examples, right? Karate Combat, LinksDAO, and Kraushaus have all done a pretty good job in, in slightly differing models. I think for me, what some of those have done really well is they've been community in the back end, but business in the front. That's how knights are too. 
I think Knights has done a great job of business execution, which I think we've executed at you know one of the highest levels in Web3 in terms of the amount of deliverables we've been able to produce. And community has been there to support every initiative and been empowered to create on their own. That's not an easy thing to balance. No, no, it's not. A last few questions looking at more future gazing, right? What are some of the biggest trends that you think are going to be apparent to consumers from a crypto perspective with the lens of sports and entertainment over the next three years? Uh, Well, one, distributed ownership. The ability to participate in the ownership of teams and leagues. I think that will become more and more prevalent. Two, I think memorabilia, autographs, and collectibles will become a thing, but digital. All be digital versions of those. Buying, selling, trading. Like I expect my kid when you know, my kids are four and two, you know, when my boys become, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, I don't think they're going to be going to their friend's house with binders of cards like I did. I think they're going to be trading cards digitally. They show each other their apps and they make trades right there with their friends. But I think that'll be a thing. I think that AI is going to become more and more prevalent, whether it's operating businesses, operating leagues being the referees, et cetera. I think you're going to have AI providing roles to make gaming far more engaging. AI is going to transcend a lot of things. It's really playing a major role. To me, it's, like you said before, social, and then blockchain technology are two of the biggest um, powerful technology movements that we've seen in our lifetimes. AI is the newest one, and these LLMs. I think AI will impact us across the board with new data, new analytics, new insights, new experiences, etc. Sports betting obviously continues to grow in popularity. I'm curious to see what types of new betting experiences come, especially as we start to incorporate more DeFi into the mix. Like, How does that open up new betting experiences? Again, I think that gaming is just going to be a major driver of the next wave of adoption. If I was to venture a guess, once... Madden or Grand Theft Auto or Pokemon, those types of games bring their audiences, their Web 2 audiences to Web 3, and those Web 2 audiences will follow those gaming IPs anywhere. That's when we're going to see the next monstrous adoption curve, the next massive wave of Web 3 technology and NFTs, etc. Because it's not going to come from the Web 3 games trying to get Web 2. There's a resistance. There's also just like a battle. But once someone goes in and steals a car in Grand Theft Auto and all of a sudden realizes they could sell it for ten grand on Ethereum because it's a rare car, and then they're like, oh, shit, what do I do now with this ten grand? Oh, I could buy a Zion rookie card or a LeBron's debut on Top Shot, or I could buy this... Magic Johnson autographed moment. Like, I think that's going to be an eye-opening experience to a lot of people that haven't experienced Web3 yet. And then conversely, what do you think is being overhyped or has been overhyped over the last like six to 12 months that might not have as big an impact from a Web3 perspective? I think PFPs are going to need to change their strategy. I think that the expectation of never-ending utility, it's a flawed construct. You know, it's like, Once you buy an NFT, you feel like an investor and owner, but you're not really per se an investor or owner, yet you feel like this group and this team is indebted to you because you gave them money. It's not a product. It's like a weird exchange. And eventually, they don't want to pay you more. They just want you to keep delivering for what they already paid you. And that's not a sustainable business relationship. So eventually that runs its course. And then the community sours and everyone sours. And it's it's really caused a lot of 
in my opinion, tension between creators and consumers because creators are now going to think twice about creating an NFT. Like you're not hearing about utility driven or PFP driven NFT projects anymore right now as you did in the past. Right now, the successful projects are art and collectibles because there's no expectation. There's a very light expectation beyond being a collector because when you enter into that PFP relationship and provide roadmaps and all these things, it's a never-ending loop of expectations with no real path to exit or success or completion or anything. So unless we figure out sustainable business models for the PFP communities, that could change things. If this is, the royalties were that, and when you wiped out royalties, when OpenSea removed royalties and Blur screwed up royalties, it changed the entire relationship. So we'll have to rethink the model there. And also keep in mind that PFPs came into popularity during a time where we were all dying for digital community because of the pandemic. So like even the idea of a NFT that gates your digital community, granted, we're not becoming less digital. We're going to continue to move towards digital society and there will be digital clubs and digital exclusivity, et cetera. But the model needs to change a little bit, the cost, the entry. But then again, like something like a CryptoPunk to me is historic. That is like, it, to me, that's the store of value of a digital NFT asset. Like you could put your money in a CryptoPunk and not think about it ever again. And I, in my opinion, that's something that will hold. And then the last two questions I've got, what do you think that crypto and Web3 skeptics are right about that the industry needs to get better at? Got a million things. Um, user experience still sucks. Security is a disaster. I mean, at least once a week, I have a friend that or someone I know that gets hacked. It's a wild, wild west. But what people don't realize is that happens everywhere. It's just when it happens in crypto, it's it's loud because we're a small community and everyone knows about it. We all share it. But the reality is there's like credit card fraud and there's millions of different things out there that happen. Crypto, it happens to be more loud about it in a small community. But the reality is it has to be safer. It has to be more secure. Um, user experience needs to be improved. There needs to be interoperability. This like, what chain am I married to is so ridiculous. The chain religions, like eventually... The only thing you'll know about a chain is that it provides something unique to the user experience of the application you're engaging with, and it won't matter what it is to you, just the developers. And that should be completely invisible to the consumer. I think we are in a place where crypto needs to be more adopted by institutional money, which is where the ETFs are coming in. I think it needs to be easier to pay for things, everything. We are in the early days here. Obviously, I'm super bullish that we're heading in the right direction. What are they wrong about? What frustrates you when you hear someone say, X, Y, Z. I mean, the number one thing that I think about is like the SBF situation, the FTX. FTX situation wasn't a crypto problem. It was a very flawed, greedy, like entitled individual who made horrible decisions that thought he would get away with it about a business and how that business runs and mismanaged that business and happened to use the marketing FTX crypto trust. And I think that things like that are not crypto problems. Bitcoin didn't break. Ethereum didn't break. Um, crypto's thesis and purpose and value have not changed. You're going to have bad individuals like Madoff. Did people stop using money when Madoff got arrested? No. So like, should crypto stop being used because SBF got arrested? No. Like, it's not... I think We work going bankrupt. People yeah, still need offices, right? Exactly right. <laughs> so like, there are going to be people that mismanage things. I believe that the amount of pushback that we got as a community, fundraising, you know, business deals, brand, inter just because of the SBF situation to me blew my mind. 
And the other one is the gaming community. I think the gaming community has no idea what the hell they're doing when it comes to NFTs. The gaming community is completely taken advantage of. They have no ownership. They buy the buy new versions of the same game year after year after year after year. They spend money in game, transactions of unlimited production of these like things that are not scarce. They have no ownership, no rights, no nothing, and they think that they're winning. Whereas like they have this opportunity to migrate into the Web3 space where they can partake in the benefits as opposed to just the gaming company collecting it all. And I think that the, once that hits, it's going to change. Like The minute people realize that you can go from unproductive gaming to productive gaming and actually earn for your fun time, right now people are play to earn, but that's because the games suck right now. Once you realize you could play and earn, it's game over. Mm. We'll never see a, a game that doesn't... Or play and own. Uh, yeah, play and own, play and earn. The, once it's and, not two... You won't be able to build a game without it because you'll never be able to compete. It's like, so someone is going to be smart enough to be the forefront of that. Someone, one of the big gaming companies have to be at the forefront of that to drive that movement. And then it's game over. I mean, on that note, I think we'll wrap things up. Um, thanks so much, everyone, for listening or watching wherever you're consuming this content. Drew, where can people find out more about you and all your projects? I'm at Drew Austin on Twitter. We've recently started a podcast called Redbeard Radio, where we're interviewing founders, entrepreneurs, experts in various fields across the different types of categories that we invest in on AngelList. So, like on this in our syndicate. So, you know, whether it's someone who runs a space company or wants to talk about ZK technology or wants to talk about NFTs and what's going on in the space, or you know, super rare John Crane came on and talked about the art marketplace and his decisions to make you know pioneer with royalties. So we just have like these fun conversations so that our syndicate LPs, the 4,000 people plus that are you know constantly wanting to invest in these deals, um, can be more informed, more educated, and more enthusiastic as we present great opportunities to them to invest in. If you're an accredited investor, check out our syndicate. It's free to join. You'll start to see amazing venture opportunities. You could be one of the early stage investors in companies like Dapper Labs and Sandbox and Wilder World and Genies and Zed Run, etc. So, that's kind of where we're at. If you have any questions, hit me up on Twitter. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, man. You can find Sporting Crypto on LinkedIn and Twitter, or X now, at Sporting Crypto. Uh, and if you haven't subscribed to the newsletter, you can do so on sportingcrypto.substack.com. Just remember that none of what we have said during the show is financial or business advice, and this content is for informational purposes only. Web3 is underpinned by crypto, and crypto is volatile, meaning you can lose money if you're buying these assets personally or as a business. Where we are recording right now in the US, the majority of crypto asset companies are unregulated. Thanks once more for consuming this content. Leave us a review and subscribe to the show, and we'll have more sporting crypto content for you soon. Mm-hmm.